This episode is brought to you by Affordable Drill Towers. Founded in 2016 by our good friend Steve Sanguidoce, a retired Houston, Texas firefighter, the Affordable Drill Tower was designed and built with functionality and versatility in mind for any training ground. As a standalone training tower and add-on to an existing burn building or connect setup, the Affordable Drill Tower packs a massive punch at an affordable price tag. With over 50 towers across the country, from Massachusetts to California, Montana to Texas, professionally engineered, NFPA and ISO compliant, the Affordable Drill Towers brings the versatility to your training ground. From Main Street USA, the small town fire company in their back parking lot, to the training grounds of the largest metropolitan fire academy, the Affordable Drill Tower fits the bill for price and functionality. Check them out at AffordableDrillTowers.com. And two things I like to talk about also when talking about our friends over at Affordable Drill Towers. One, their customized training program. They have the ability to bring some of the best talent from across the country to your home turf after the install of the Affordable Drill Tower. Designing a customized training program for you and your department, Steve will facilitate some of the biggest and brightest names of the American Fire Service to come in and work with you and your department. And secondly, and I think most important, is Steve's belief in need over greed. The affordable drill tower company gives back to not-for-profits that support organizations in the American Fire Service. Organizations such as the Joey D Foundation, which is near and dear to Steve Sanguidoche's heart, as well as many other not-for-profits that he takes a part of. He takes great pride in providing funding for organizations that push this job forward. So check them out. Steve and Dennis over at Affordable Drill Towers. Send them an email at info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Check them out on social media. And their YouTube page is kicking butt with great information, training nuggets, and information about their towers. So check them out, Affordable Drill Towers, and let them know Jeremy over at National Fire Radio sent you. This episode's brought to you by Ridgeway Leatherworks. Ridgeway Leatherworks is a firefighter-owned and operated business as well as a family-run business, and that's what I love about it. Rob and his family are passionate about their customer service and the quality product and craftsmanship they put out for the emergency services. Rob's been on the show. We've been to his his business. We've seen them in action. I've even tried to hand-paint radio straps. I promise you, it is not as easy as what the final outcome looks like. The product is so good, it's so clean and crisp, and yet, man, it takes that steady hand. Rob's become a near and dear friend of our podcast, and you hear that over and over when we talk about our sponsors, that they're friends, supporters, and that's what this networking community is all about, is supporting one another. Ridgeway Leatherworks, Rob Meyer, crushing it. Quality and craftsmanship is number one. Customer service is right there with it. From custom radio straps, universal radio holsters, chin straps, flashlight holders, anti-sway straps, and locker tags made out of leather, there's plenty of opportunity along the way when you deal with Ridgeway Leatherworks. So check them out at RidgewayLeatherworks.com. Find them on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And tell Rob you heard about him on the National Fire Radio platform and give them a little pluck and tell them keep up the good work we need to support our firefighter owned businesses and especially family run businesses where his two daughters and his wife help out day in and day out along with his other employees so again ridgeway leatherworks check them out at ridgewayleatherworks.com and find them on all your social media channels hey guys jeremy national fire radio welcome back to the podcast today assistant chief Justin McCarthy, assistant chief. That's pretty high up in the pecking order. It's probably one of the higher other than a chief of department I've had on the show. So I'm feeling honored today to have some brass with me. Chief, thanks for joining me, man. No, anytime. I know we've been trying to do this for a while. <laughs> I'm glad it, it, it lined up. The stars lined up today. So yeah, well, you know, I mean, typical fashion. I canceled twice and here we are. Third time's a charm, but I appreciate your patience. Um, a little backstory. You and I met up at Ragtop Industries. We did a roundtable up there. Pete uh, and the crew at Ragtop had a, a roundtable, and you were one of the uh, guys that sat up in front, and uh, and I emceed it. Uh, we had a good rapport back and forth, and at the end of it, I grabbed you, and I said, man, I'd love to chat with you further. I really liked a lot of um, what you were saying, and I think that you and I are very similar in a lot of ways when, um, when it comes to our thinking and mindset about the fire service. So I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Um, little background, started as a volunteer, uh, 
uh, career fireman in uh, Wilton, Connecticut. Uh, quickly moved on to New Haven, Connecticut in 2008. Rose through the ranks. Um, retired as an assistant chief and then took an assistant chief position in Greenwich, Connecticut. A little bit different. Different zip codes. Different uh, challenges, I'm sure. Um, knowing the area like I do. So I'd love to talk a little bit about that. But I, I think it's more fun to just get a little background about yourself. Um, your upbringing in the fire service. Uh, I'd love to know like your roots and, and how this all came to be for you. Yeah, no, listen, like many other people started off with a father in the fire service. He was uh, in Westport, Connecticut, combination department, he rose to the ranks, uh, became a shift commander, assistant chief, um, did the whole career there. Right. I started as a volunteer there um, basically six months after he retired. So we never got to overlap, which kind of sucked. Uh, okay. But um, but he was he was the guiding force. My uncle's on the job in uh, Bridgeport. He's got 30 plus years on as a firefighter in Bridgeport. And then as typical firefighters, kids go. Um, I worked landscaping for a firefighter. I helped out uh, doing plumbing for a fire. You know what I mean? Like, so my dad had me integrated with firehouse life young. And um, as soon as I turned 18, which was our youngest age to be able to become a volunteer, went off, became a volunteer, got fire one, uh, fire two, did the EMT thing, all that. Sure. And to be honest with you, my father looked at me and said, you got to go work on an ambulance um, if you want me to support you through this, because if you don't like that, you're not going to like where this all is going. Wow. And okay. uh, I, I liked I liked that a lot. So uh, working on the ambulance was like my college job. And, uh, and I got extraordinarily lucky in that I got hired uh, very young. And, and I guess... In some ways, timing was perfect, and in some ways, timing, you know, if I could still be a company officer, a lot of times I think, yeah, you know, that's not so bad. Right? Yeah, right. Um, but uh, I ended up kind of hitting the, the, the COVID wave, and I was, you know, talking about this before with you. Yeah. Hit the COVID wave like a lot of people did. You know, we had people leave, and uh, timing, just the stars aligned, however you want to put it and it bumped me up to assistant chief in new haven which uh was a hell of an experience you know yeah no well i mean new haven's a fire town right it's uh it's a uh typical new england town it's a it's a tough town it's known for fire duty you got the the great white fleet there which is uh you know a little bit different than your traditional uh fire apparatus that are on the road but i'm sure new haven really set the stage for you though uh for really falling in love with the job though i have to believe that Oh, it's, yeah. You know, when I went to New Haven, I, I get to the Academy and I'd already been to the state Academy. And I remember chief grant who I looked up to immensely. Um, you know, he since, he since passed away, but he brought us into the, the, you know, the office on our first day and he, he knew people's names and he was, you know, pretty brash. And he looked right at me and he said, what'd you do before you got here? I said, well, I was on the job. I went to the Academy. He goes, Oh, okay. He goes, uh, well, you're going to start from zero today. Okay. And I did. And, you know, I, I kind of made extra effort to keep my mouth shut about what my experience was and, and went through the paces and I lucked out and got an assignment that was second to none. In my opinion, I, I went to engine six and truck four, which was, you know, busiest firehouse that we had with a great crew that, you know, they guided me through that, those young years of being a firefighter. They held me accountable for every, you know, everything from how I operated on the fire ground or which way I tied the trash bag in the trash can. And they really kind of grew me into what I've become and I'm grateful for it. And, um, you know, the, the story is like so many others, yeah. you know, took a lot of pride in the job and got involved and, Worked my way through doing, uh, you know, tech rescue stuff, got on the, the squad companies, which was awesome. I, I mean, it was great for me. And I worked a ton of overtime and swaps and worked for my buddies. And so I just I spent a lot of time in the firehouse to hone in on what I love doing. You know? Yeah. No, that's cool, man. Making your own opportunity. You know, and that's so important in those younger years to to immerse yourself. Right. You got to make your own opportunities. Um, and uh, I love that. Talk to me a little bit about that New Haven culture. Right. Um, it's pretty unique to you to yourself. Right. Like you guys have a really good shop there. Um, there's a lot of good firemen that come out of New Haven. Um, it provides plenty of opportunity to be a good fireman. 
Um, and for yourself in those early days and then coming up through and becoming a company boss and, and going to the training academy to an assistant chief position, you know, the New Haven culture is a firemanship culture, no? Uh, yeah, without a doubt. So, you know, New Haven steeped in tradition, like so many of these Northeast towns that we see, you know, your Worcester, your Springfield, Providence, New Haven, yeah. Bridgeport. We're all cut from the same cloth. Right. We go to a decent amount of fires. We see a lot of, um, you know, diversity in our rescue calls. Um, you know, what we see in New Haven, they may not see in Bridgeport, but we could play off of each other, talk to each other. Um, and and we are proud of our traditions. Yeah. And we know what works and what doesn't. Right. So one of the things that I always talk about is when I got to New Haven, I couldn't get over the, the simplicity of the the way they operated. Right. So SOGs, SOPs, very simplistic. Um, they hadn't, still to this day, New Haven doesn't run LDH, right? We, they still run dual three-inch uh, uh, supply lines. There's a reason behind it. So like so many others, I walked through the door coming from another department. I looked around. I went, what's going on here, right? Like my dad told me stories about split three-inch. Yeah. But LDH had taken over in the 90s. Sure. You know, why here? What's going on here? And I use that example because most people understand it. But when you get up there and you have cars parked on both sides of the road and you got to pull the mirrors in to make it down the street to where the fire is, the three-inch makes or breaks getting the truck in place, right? So they they were, you know, we always laugh. The, the men in New Haven that came before were far smarter than anyone realized. They fixed problems before the problems became problems. Yeah, right, and exactly. That's a per- That's a perfect example example of saying you know what we're building our tactics around our city we're building our our tactics around what we see on a regular basis and then when we do see the unique thing we build in fail safes for that but their bread and butter is going to a two and a half story multi-family balloon frame construction private house right it's not an apartment building it's i mean granted they're seeing a ton of lightweight construction going on sure they're heavily protected right a lot of sprinklers standpipes the whole deal not the same thing and then on top of it you build those houses 12 feet apart right so that's what you see up here and the tactics are built to reflect that yeah and that's where i think new haven comes across as you know from an outsider looking in a lot of people see pictures online or whatever and they go new haven stuck in the 70s eh, right like the buildings call for that and come into Greenwich where we don't have hydrants in every area and right. we're relying on tanker operations. Their tactics are built around that. Right? right. And, you know, massive single family homes. So it's important for people, I think, you know, in the fire service, and I've had these conversations with friends of mine, don't look at, don't try to be something that you're not right. Build your, build your ship. Build your build your build your firehouse, build build your company, build your SOPs around what you're doing, not what you're seeing. Right. Not the YouTube videos, not the fire engineering articles. They help you. But, you know, Greenwich isn't New Haven. New Haven isn't Greenwich. They're not going to operate the same way, even though we're 45 minutes apart. Right. That's it. Absolutely. I was just doing I was just doing I was just doing an episode with Bobby Eckert and we talked about operational reality. He talks about it all the time. And, And for you you know, who, um, who is a strategy and tactics guy, right? And understanding the home turf from which you serve. I mean, your operational reality needs to be what you need to get the job done in your zip code and no, and nowhere else. Right. And, um, and who's to be the judge of that other than the guys that are putting the boots on the ground in that zip code every single day. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, Bobby's been kind of a pioneer, I would say in that train as you do, not as you, you know, see in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's, that's gaining a lot of traction around the country. I think that's really good. You know, I, I'm sure, Jeremy, with you, I know with me, you start off in the fire one class and they put three or four people on a hose line and they put, you know, five people on a search team and then they cut you free to your department where there's, you know, a volunteer shop where you right. might not get as many people during the day. That's right. You got to be a jack of all trades or a small career department where you know you're doing you know split crews and who's throwing a ladder by themselves and it's like i get safety and i i 
I'm not telling people to operate unsafely, but there's a reality too. And setting people up for failure is setting people up for failure, right? And so we need to do a better job. Yeah, we need to do a better job on the on the um, on the entry level into this job to to educate people about what the operational reality is. And we are failing at that and we need to be doing a better job. And I think what's easy is and you could talk about this as a as a, a gold uh, gold collar guy. You know, when when you're when our guys are coming from the academy now, obviously, when you guys run your own academies in a city or an urban setting, if you will, you guys run the academy based on your strategies, tactics, operations, guidelines and so on. But when you have like a county or a statewide system where kids are going through, they're learning the basics and then the academy likes to point the finger and say, yeah, but you're going to learn everything you need on top of this at your own fire company. And then this kid shows up at his own fire company and there's only 12 guys left in the entire fire company because the membership is dying and they're older or whatever it is. Those kids aren't getting those, you know, reality doses of reality and that in-house training that the Academy points to. And I think that it's an easy way to pass the buck sometimes to pass along the more involved or the more real you know, types of training that need to be happening. It's just easier to say, oh, you're going to get that there. We're just giving you the basics. Yeah, no, and and I'll take that a step further. Yeah, right? please. So I, I, I was working pretty regularly. Uh, you know, unfortunately, my life got busy as everyone's does, and I, I backed off. But I was running a, a Fire One program, right, for a long time. Yeah. And it was one of my favorite things to do. Because it's foundational, right? Everybody's coming in and like you get that halfway point and all of a sudden light bulbs start going off like, oh, that's how that works. Right. Like, and, and it's rewarding, right? It's not it's not it's not the same to teach somebody who's been in the fire service for a while. It's it's something to be said for teaching somebody their first ever firefighting topic. Right. So what I was finding and this happens at state academies, regional academies, county, I don't care where it is. If you're pulling instructors from different departments, the worst thing that I see happen is the lack of continuity. Yeah. Right? So we're going to do ladder company operations today. And Billy Bob is from uh, Anytown, USA. And he's telling you to throw the ladder this way. And this is who gives the commands. And this is the way the commands go. And then two days later, Billy Bob's working his shift. And Johnny Jones shows up and he's like, what are you guys doing? Why are you doing it that way? Well, you're undercutting people who have no foundation. Yes. And now they're standing there going, wait, so you want me to go into a burning building, perform at my peak, do everything right, but the instructors aren't on the same page, right? So what are we really demonstrating? Now, everybody gives the, well, there's more than two ways, you know, more than one way, more than two ways to do that. but it's important to you're at the foundation. That's right. They don't even know that there's more than that's one. right. Teach them one way and then let them learn other tricks to the trade as they go. You know, it's, it's, it's short changing people who don't have an opportunity to even have the foundation yet. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that irks me, but it goes right to, we're sending some, some new uh, firefighters up to the state Academy and exactly that they, when they come back, we spend another week with them just doing like operational reality. I'll yes. Give them, mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. I yeah. think that's what every department ends up doing. The continuity conversation is pretty cool. I, I I haven't gone down that road before with 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 a guest. I, I think that that's something I definitely want to explore further. And I think you have incredibly valid points there, for sure. And it goes right to what you and I were talking about about uh, before I hit the record button. I said, "What do you what do you want to hit on? What's passion? What's what's something for you that you're passionate about?" And you mentioned the word simplicity before, and I wrote it down, underlined it, and circled it, which means I come back to it after I do you know after the episode when I'm typing up the narrative or whatever. But what you said to me really resonated with something that stands out to me and it's something that we do every single day in the fire service from the manufacturers to the nfpa to osha to our own fire companies we overcomplicate the shit out of everything we do in the fire service yeah well i think that's a chronic problem and 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 it's something that only we can combat right so you know i like to use the example of uh, air packs, right? We'll use the example of air packs. I've been on a couple committees to review air packs, not NFPA. I'm talking about local committees, right? Um, and 
if you look at my father's generation, they started off with with the the steel cylinder Scots, right? Where it's basically, and I'll go back to this, but it's basically a wireframe, mm-hmm. some webbing straps, and uh, the mask itself, right? Yeah. And the the thing operated. It did exactly what they needed it to do in that generation. And then we evolved and we ended up with wireframes and lightweight, right? Everything was all about let's let's reduce weight. We ended up with fiberglass. So we ended up carbon fiber. We ended up with composite. We do new materials. This this was on the space shuttle, so it's gonna work here type <laughs> of stuff, right? And the bottles were getting smaller and the packs were getting, you know, we're staying light. And then all of a sudden we have a shift and we say that everything's got to be more ergonomic and more comfortable and more, um, you know, uh, this and that. And we have to put more technology in. I get those arguments. Right. But now you're taking a pack that's bigger and I'm picking on air packs, but it's there's a lot of this. Um, We're telling people, you know, make sure you don't pat people down on with with superheated gear. Right. But here, put this air pack on and compress that same gear, right? Now the straps are wider. So now you're not giving off the heat the way that you were. The gear manufacturer is designing it one way. The air pack is doing something else. So they're not working in conjunction with each other. Then we're saying we got to be able to take it apart and decon it, right? Which I understand that, but deconning a wireframe was pretty easy. We did it historically. We hosed that thing off. We scrubbed it. We had that thing shining by the time it went back on the truck every day but now we have void spaces we have places where stuff gets trapped and i'm going wait i thought we were trying to fix a problem and in turn we're creating a problem right and now there's talk all over the place everywhere i go man i hope they come back out with a wireframe because this is too complicated right and we're going full circle full circle full circle and um you know, it goes from there, right? It goes to extrication tools. It goes to the struts. It goes to hose deployment. It goes, right? Instead of focusing on basics and and honing the craft, what we're doing is we're trying to outsmart and out technology and out, you know, flash the fire, right? And we're not good at any of it, yeah. right? We're, we're sitting here saying, Hey, you need to be a rope tech. You need to be a trench tech. You need to be a hazmat tech. Oh, but what do you mean you're not a fire one yet? Right? Like, I don't know how many places are putting just shy of what I went to for hazmat tech as part of fire one curriculum. Yeah. I'll tell you this, right? So really cool. Mike O'Hare, who is a friend of mine out of Houston, Texas, rides special. He's actually in charge of training for special operations. Um, I don't want to shortchange him. I don't know. Uh, what his exact title is, but he, you know, I think it's changed since we talked last, but um, he's responsible for a lot of special ops training for Houston, Texas, um, or all of the training, I should say. We were talking about very much this, and we were talking about overcomplicating things, and he goes, he goes, why can't we show up at a door pop and not worry about putting out struts and setting all this shit up when all we have to do is put a wheel chock under the tire, stabilize the front rocker, and pop the door? He's like, we over, we're, we're being ingrained to overthink simplistic things that we used to find simple or routine, if you will, quote unquote routine or bread and butter. But now we're adding extra layers of know-how or equipment when it could just be that simple. Why can't we just keep it simple? I was just talking to a friend of mine who's on a pretty large scale USAR team. Yeah. And we were talking about torches in the fire service. Right, right, and right, right. I'm trying to find the department. And I know there's one out there that has successfully operated at multiple torch events, right? Because everybody's got the petrogen torch or the oxyacetylene torch or plasma cutters or whatever, right? And what I find in a lot of cases is 90% of the people on the rig don't know how to get it going, right? So, we spend that annual training doing torches where we're like, no, no, no. I, I think you turn this on, right? So are we going to operate a torch at the scene? And one of the things he said to me was, yeah, one of the things that we're doing is we're trying to integrate people from the uh, the union welding uh, uh, in 
that area with the USAR team because we're not great at torches, but we can rely on them. That's a simple have to be these, you know, we've taken this, we need to be the experts at everything and we've compounded and compounded it. Now we're not good at anything, yeah. you know, and that's, we're, we're like relatively comfortable with these advanced things, but not simple things. And oh. to bring up the door pop thing real quick, I had a, a I had a call where a car was up against a, a taxi, right? I mean, literally kissing the taxi on the other side was a telephone pole and the girl couldn't fit through the window and there's a glass divider. And we said, well, why don't we just grab the winch and back this car off of the side of it? hundred percent. Or whatever. Patient opportunity. I'm like, dude, the, they're barely kissing each other. Right. She would climb through to the front and out the window if she could, but it's a taxi. There's right. a cage. Right. Like we're overcomplicated. We were done in two minutes. Yep. Yep. I agree with you. I agree. And I think we need more of that. But here's my here's my question to you then. Are we doing it because we lack the confidence in our skills and abilities? Or are we are we doing it because we have a dumber fire service today? No, that's the whole problem. We don't have a dumber fire service. I think we have a smarter fire service, which is part of it. Absolutely. I've worked with some great officers that are almost too smart. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. 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 Um, Your your voice is almost like. Go ahead. Let's pair it back. Right. We're we're training outside of what we're really going to. One of the other things that I'm seeing is we talk about it briefly. We touched on it. Volunteering, right? We're struggling to find people and career departments are struggling to get staffing because towns don't want to pay for it. So what the towns will do is give you a bigger tool budget. So you stop asking for that firefighter. Right. And that's, Oh, if we have that tool, it'll make up for not having that firefighter because it makes you know, that two-person operation became a, a one-person operation. And that's the way we're programmed to think, right? Do more with less. Well, here's this tool that you could operate single-handedly, but you forget the setup of it. You forget how many other actions have to take place. You 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 can't replace humans. And that's what some of the technology is trying to do and some of the complications trying to do. And it's also budgetarily people trying to offset well, that will take the place of a person. And it doesn't really work like that. Um, I also just heard one recently that, you know, departments are looking at trying to make it safer, right? Chief. And that's a word that gets thrown around all the time. Chief, your yeah, volume, yeah, your voice is going in and out. So stay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to shut down this link. Yep. I'm going to leave the feed up. I'm going to shut this down. I'm going to call you back in two seconds, and we're going to see if the audio does better than the video. All right, so hang on. 10-4. Okay. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by the Affordable Standpipe Prop. Let's break it down real quick. Steve and the crew at Affordable Drill Towers is doing it again. They've created this fully custom and fabricated standpipe prop to support the fire service. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing piece of training equipment. And I wanna hop into it real quick. It is designed with a four-inch manifold of high-strength galvanized Schedule 10 pipe. The cart and manifold are powder-coated red for a durable finish, meaning it's not just a talking piece. It's not something you tuck away on the shelf. This is a training prop that can be wheeled into the classroom and then brought out onto the training ground. And so let's talk about that. In the classroom, there's nothing better than having a hands-on prop in front of the students, in front of the fire companies that are there to learn about standpipe and FDC connections, having that prop in the classroom allows for a great instructional lecture. And then from there, take the standpipe theory and translate it to the training grounds. You could wheel the cart out that's on casters, you wheel it out into the parking lot, and that same training prop that you just used hands-on in the classroom can now be used hands-on on the training ground by pumping into it and flowing out of it. It offers such versatility in its approach. It has a two and a half inch Siamese connection, seven two and a half inch outlets, six of which are standpipe valves, has a water motor gong, sprinkler head with a control valve, and a system pressure gauge. 
You can also upgrade and put three of the most common field-adjustable PRVs. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing training prop that needs to be in every fire company or training department across the country. Reach out to Steve and the crew. Info at AffordableDrillTowers.com. Ask for a demo. Ask for information. Or check them out on social media and YouTube. There's plenty of content out there that shows you exactly what the affordable standpipe prop can do for you. This episode's brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 tins in the market, they are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom design, one-offs to department orders, they can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on, and they provide nothing but top-shelf product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform, and Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout, for a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. All right, so as you guys are tuning in right now, 24 minutes in on this podcast, sometimes things don't go as planned. And so we're going to pivot right now, and I'm going to call the chief. And thank you for dealing with this. I'm not going to edit any of this out because I think it just adds to what we actually do here. It's real. Uh, so hang on one second. Let's give him a call. Let's get it up. Here we go. How's that? I think it's better. I didn't cut the feed and I was talking I was talking on the podcast, right? While I was calling you, I go, we're not editing this out. This is just gonna be what it's about. So this is this is the uh, the the joys of podcasting. Sometimes, man, the audio and video don't work out, but we're gonna do it this way. Does this sound all right to you? Yeah, no, crystal clear. Yeah, I think it's better, actually, to be honest with you. I think the video where you were was slowing slowing the conversation down. So anyway, I'm sorry to, I just want to backtrack a little bit. Uh, you were talking to a buddy. You were talking about, um, you know, uh, equipment and simplistic, and we're smarter today than we've uh, than we've ever been. Um, and, and you started to lead into a story about talking with a buddy. Yeah, you ready? Yeah, do it. All right, so, yeah, no, we were talking, and, and one of the things that, I find a little disingenuous sometimes is yeah. we're, we're veiling these major technology changes as safety, right? Yes. And what, what's ending up happening is we're, we're veiling it as safety. So it's not questioned, but then when we're putting it to the test, it introduces new safety concerns. And we ran into this when I was doing research and development, you know, we were given this, this new device that was supposed to be, super safe and, 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 uh, you know, correct a problem. And it had to do with SCBA tracking and things like that. But it, one of the features of it was that it put the, the HUD on the outside of the mask. And so that way an officer could see how the other firefighters air was, was being managed. When we put it into the burn building and then we put it into some live fire training, we were getting like, essentially visual feedback off the smoke. So in one instance, somebody reported that they saw a fire that wasn't there. It's because they had an orange light reflecting. Yeah. And in theory, you know, even when I read it, I was like, well, this is a cool feature. Then we started in practice seeing that create a problem. And in my head, I was thinking we, we, we fixed one problem and created a new one, right? For every action, there's a reaction. Sure. And that's what, that's what we have to look at. We can't just, uh, take the flyers word for it or what we see on social media as this is going to fix our problem. Yeah. I want to hit on something too. You, you brought up something really great, man. You can't replace humans. And um, there's so many ways I can go down that path with you because, you know, as a, as a, you know, a, a, a chief of a department where personnel matters. I mean, you know, you're dealing with personnel issues all the time. You're looking at hiring, you're looking at retirements. We need people. And a lot of times budgets are getting squeezed. And the first thing that gets squeezed obviously is staffing. Um, and that becomes an issue, but you're talking about technology and what are we doing? We're using technology or new new ways of doing something to replace humans. Look at the concept of like a squad engine, right? We used to run a rescue truck. We used to run an engine. 
And now it's, you know, but that required additional people to run two pieces. Now we can combine it. We create one. We, we close two companies. We open one company. And now we only need four, not eight. Right? It's, a, it's an age-old problem that we're seeing more and more and more of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so how do we combat this? I mean, you're, you know, listen, you're, I, I truly, from knowing you now and, and talking with you on a few occasions, I know that you are a fireman's chief. Um, I know that there are probably days that you wish you were back in the front seat of the engine um, or in the squad. I get that, right? You're still a fireman, right? How do we, how do you bridge that gap then between, you know, what, what you want, what you enjoyed doing being a fireman to now as a, a man wearing an administrative chief, you know, role uh, when it comes to budgeting, staffing, things like that. How do we find a balance here? How do we find an equal, something that represents what we need for the guys on the streets as well as city hall? Um, I, I mean, I think first of all, and I, I talk about this here, you know, I, coming into this department, everybody did what firefighters do, right? They sized me up and I, I respect them for it. Right. Who's this guy? Where's he coming from? What's he know? What's he here to do? And, um, you know, one of the first things that I started doing was conversating. Yes. Right. Have conversations and don't preface with, well, when I was in New Haven, yes. right? I'm, I'm the guest now. So for me, it's, it's sitting back and listening and listen, there's things that when I got here, I said, well, that doesn't really make sense to me, but I had a conversation. Right. And it's even, you know, I'll flip it to another topic. Yeah. We're a combination department, right? So now we're trying to recruit and retain volunteers because the way the system is, it does not, this system does not succeed without the volunteers. And I'm trying to make sure that we're doing proper recruiting for the career staff. And, you know, it's trying to pull good people is definitely a challenge. I mean, trust me, a lot of people after COVID do not want to get involved in emergency services. Yeah. A lot of people that, you know, historically went into this business were blue collar. Well, unfortunately, now they need to work. 12 hour days instead of eight hour days. Yep. And as a result, they can't make it to drill night. They can't make the calls during the day. And so you're losing out on this opportunity to get good people through the door and retain them and get them to go to calls and get them to go to drill night and show up for the parade. And, you know, I think everybody's getting creative, you know, is it, is it things like, going outside the box, focusing on social media drives. I don't know, you know, um, you know, the sign in front of the firehouse volunteers wanted, or, you know, putting an ad in the paper that we're having a, a, a entry level test. Those days aren't working anymore. Right. So, um, you know, that's really important, but like to touch upon the administrative side, I also have to be able to coherently talk to the public and the elected officials Yes. to say, look, we've explored all of our options and no matter how we cut the mustard, we need additional people, whether it's, which requires money. And that needs to be backed with data, which is something that I'm, I'm actively working on. Um, and, and with that data, what, what we decipher from it has to be, it is what it is. You can't manipulate the data. You have to use it to you, what you need to use it to. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a town close by that's, that's looking at the deployment studies and it might mean that the hundred year old firehouse gets closed and a new firehouse gets built because of the way the town developed over the hundred years, that's a reality and it sucks, but it's a reality. And it's up to us as chief level officers to, to make that work. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I mean, and, and that's the, that's the interesting thing about this is it's always easy. <laughs> you know, you think about, um, you know, sitting around that kitchen table and, and it's the, you know, wants and needs and desires. And then it's the reality conversation, right? For you. I mean, you know, we didn't really touch on it. We talked about it, but I want to, I want to talk about that a little bit. You, you brought up a really good point. You talked about when you came to Greenwich. So you retired in New Haven as an assistant chief and then, took a job in Greenwich, Connecticut as an assistant chief. 
um, which is a different type of town and it's a combination system and so on. So I have to think that your upbringing in the volunteer fire service certainly has helped you in that regard. Um, you know, bridging that gap between career and volunteer in your, in your new fire department there and so on. But how important is that to, you know, educate and, and provide the, the, the right tools to the guys that are on the ground in a way that they can understand it. Sometimes it just takes time, right? Like we, we can't work our magic overnight. Oh no. And, and you want to know what I find that's been very successful is don't, don't bullshit anybody. Nice. Right. I think that's where, that's where people struggle because they don't want to be the person bringing the bad news. They don't want to be the bad guy. They don't want to be, you know, the Johnny negative walking through the door saying, you know, it's not going to work. And I think that's what's kind of worked for me is, you know, if, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example, it, it, you know, I'll, I'll go back to being on the, on the squad, right? Yeah. You have a lot of, you had a lot of type A people sure. and you would get the, um, the crews that would decide, you know what, if we move where we store the ropes, it'll be better. So group one wants to store the ropes in this <laughs> compartment. Group two comes in. Why, why are the ropes here? And they move it, right? And that back and forth, I've been there. I've been a part of companies like that. The back and forth goes on for like six weeks before somebody finally snaps, right? right. And it's like, dude, if you guys all got together and just had a conversation, maybe group one is right. The rope should be over there. And we just have to talk about it. But everybody's like, they're, they're more than willing to talk crap about the crew when nobody's around. And what's made me, I, I hope, you know, in the eyes of the guys here in Greenwich, successful so far, and it's been a short time, they, you know, they're just warming up, but is I'll go down and, you know, if I have a late meeting, I'll ask them if I could jump in on the meal or, you know, they've invited me to the meal. That's been awesome to hear them out. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not above throwing in and, and, and helping out and, just hearing and just, you know, we tell all the rookies, shut up and listen. Well, I'm the new chief. I got to shut up and listen. And, um, you know, I think that leads to better conversations. It leads to better understanding of, you know, what will work and what will not work. Yeah. You know? Well, well and, and what I love about it, that. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought. No, I was just going to say it, it stops the wasted time. Yes. So, you know, that's what I hate. Yeah. I agree with you. I hate spinning my wheels, um, especially on things that can't be, can't, you know, you don't have much traction on or ability to influence. It's just, let's move on, you know, and, and when you can influence or, or change the, you know, change the situation to change it and let's go like, you know, time is time's important. I think what's really interesting and what I, what I love is the parallel right within your career. You know, you had experience prior to coming into new Haven, you get the new Haven, you go through the Academy again, they tell you to shut up and listen and you're going to learn our way. And, uh, and you learn from that because now you go from a assistant chief's position in one city to another city and you're doing the same thing again. You're listening. Well, it goes back to simplicity, right? Right. If it's, if it's, if it's not broke, don't try to fix it. Right. And in my experience, you know, the guys who are the loudest never stop to smell the roses and figure it out. And they, they dig themselves into a hole. Um, you know, I'm not saying that I'm a pushover, but I do want to hear everybody out because, you know, sometimes the quietest guy in the room has the most information. That's a lot of times. That I've, been, I've been shown that time and time and time again. Yes. A, a quick antidote about that. Please. So, unfortunately, we, we survived through the period of time where we lost a firefighter in New Haven, Ricardo Torres in, in May, 2021. Yes. So Ricardo Torres, younger firefighter, his Lieutenant um, sustained serious, serious injuries. And prior to that, I was on a committee that was always working on kind of honing our skills for retirees funerals. And we worked hard to kind of get that system down and unfortunately, we had a couple of active duty people die unrelated to the job. Right. And we we took that model and we put it on a bigger scale and we provided exactly what we should have, which was we gave the family 
a send off for an individual who deserved nothing better than the best. Right. Yes. And the Ricardo Torres incident happens. I'm a relatively new assistant chief. And um, I think to myself, our plan is not cut out for this. Okay. And um, so we reach out to the state uh, group that helps with that. But I also reached out to the, uh, to the FDNY ceremonial unit. And I said, look, we need help. And um, guy who I, I've become very proud to know, Joe LaPointe and, and his team come up to New Haven. And this is a guy who gets into the ceremonial unit after the Father's Day fire pre 9-11 and has been there ever since in New York City. Wow. If you've seen a fire department funeral in New York City, you've seen Joe LaPointe's work and yes. his team's work. Okay. The guy walks in, he has an unsuspecting jacket. And he sat in the complete back of the room off to the side. And we had to invite him up. And he said, I'm not here to take over. I'm here to listen and help. That's a guy that I will forever be in debt to. And I think the members of the New England Fire Department will forever be in debt to. Wow. He helped us immensely. Mm. And that was a guy who literally was sitting in the back of the room. Okay. He had the most knowledge. We just had to ask him. And as soon as we brought him to the table, he basically laid out. Here's what you're going to see. Here's what we need to do. We're happy to help you. Tell us if we've stepped on anybody's toes. I've, I've never been more speechless in my life. And you take that and you translate it into everything we do. Well, that quiet guy knew exactly what we needed to do. Yes. And how many times have you been at the call? I know I've ha had it happen to me. Anybody who's been in the fire service has probably had it happen where, you know, you have the electrical problem and all of a sudden somebody goes, Hey, you know, Mike, uh, outside, he's an electrician on the side. That's right. Right. Like, oh, I didn't know he did that. Bring him in. Let's let him look at this problem or right. so-and-so is a plumber or whatever, you know, and those quiet guys, they know their craft. And that's where conversations at the table translate into the bigger conversations. And it just, it, it provides a better service for the people, which is what we're here for. I agree. And, and I, I want to, I want to just dive back. a half a second. Um, you know, uh, the line of duty death that New Haven had with Ricardo Torres, it was on, uh, May 12th of 21. Um, for you, I know you were very involved in the process, um, you know, of, um, after, after his death, um, you know, preparing, for the funeral and all the services that came with and all the responsibilities and duties. And I know many people spoke very highly of you and, and how uh, involved you were. And, and from there moving forward, when you, when you talk about this process, what did, what did that do for you? When, when Joe LaPointe walked into the back of the room and sat down and after getting to know him and after being able to um, put together uh, an incredible send off for a fallen brother, like, do you ever have time to just sit back and, and think about that experience and what that has done for you, to you, um, and, and for the New Haven Fire Department? Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, definitely, for sure. I mean, it was a challenge for everybody. And I think that it, it it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I've tried to dissect it because yeah. I've thought about, like, the time mm -hmm. and what people told me, and I think, Joe nailed it from the perspective of the ceremony and some of the other chiefs of, you know, Hartford who had gone through it, Bridgeport who had gone sure. through it. They nailed it on the things that you don't expect. So, you know, I think at the time it was one of those things where you had to pull it together. You had to be there for the family. They were priority number one, but you also still had to make sure that the calls got answered sure. after. Right. Sure. I mean, they, but then it's the fallout that you don't see. Right. And, and I tell two stories about that regularly and, and, and I'll keep them brief here, but you know, one of the requests from the widow right up front was, can you put me in touch with another widow who has children? Wow. wow. The answer at the time was I got to see what I could do because I did not want to say no to this person. Correct. Who, within the last 72 hours, just lost her husband. She was pregnant at the time and they had a one-year-old. I mean, I don't want to be the person to say no. Right. I don't know anybody who would. Right. And you so, you know, I'm, I'm building this relationship. So again, I reach out to Joe and he said, I'll call you back in five minutes. And he had somebody. 
and we were able to connect people and, and it, it worked out amazing. And even I ended up on the phone for three hours with this widow guiding me through what to expect for this, this new widow Yeah, and how to overcome some of the problems and what to, what to be prepared for. And so that was huge. The other problem was we immediately chief Walston, myself and the rest of our, our team, we got together and we said, look, we got to be able to give people time off. If they need it, we need them to have their heads in the game. And very few people took us up on it. What we saw more of was people essentially not going home. Right. And quickly the, the problem shifted from, are we going to have enough people to work the shifts to, we need to make sure these guys go home. Yes. And because everybody felt the, the need to be at the firehouse, be at the table. But what nobody realized was, and myself included here, you know, there's still a wife and kids and, and responsibilities at home. Yes. And on top of it, that spouse just saw somebody, one of your coworkers die. Yeah. So now they're associating that with their spouse. Yeah, for sure. So that spillover, it took time because the spouses got together and created this, this awesome kind of like wives, mothers group, and they were there for each other. But that lasts for so long before you're looking at your husband or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or fiance, whatever, and saying, why are you working again? Yeah. Come home. You've been there for three days. dude. Like we need you here too. Yeah. And trying to make sure that, you know, we didn't have things going off the rails six weeks, six weeks or six months later was where the challenge really set in um, on that. And it's it's something we were warned about. But until you live through it, you're not going to really see how drastic things change months later. You know, when when all the phone calls stop and when all the letters stop and, you know, you're going back to your routine yeah. You know, taking in the chest pains and uh, activated fire alarms. And, you know, the people aren't thanking you at the grocery store anymore. And now reality kind of sets back in. That's when you got to really turn it back on and be there for everybody. You know, I mean, I, I can't even imagine the the sleepless nights and the the learning curve that came with all of it. And, and as a uh, as a higher up within the department, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I, the burden that you shoulder is the burden of every single member of your department, right? The higher the rank, the more, the more you carry, I feel, you know? Um, and, uh, and so going through an exercise like that, that is, you know, um, hopefully you'd never have to deal with again. I mean, you haven't done it before. So what you don't know, you don't know. And, and I can only imagine what came with all of that. And it's just quite an undertaking. I can, can only imagine. But, well, that's where, you know, I think, people need to realize too, that we're all a brother sisterhood out there. Yeah. And you know, while you don't want to have to go through it, there's people like Joe, people like the Connecticut honor guard that are out there that that's not the time to be too proud to ask for help. That's right. And, and I, yeah, I'm glad you said that's that. a really big piece of the puzzle too, is knowing that, you know, it's one thing to put on the funeral for the past chief or for the, you know, the great guy who's been retired or been out of the company for, you know, 10 years, 20 years, but to do it for a line of duty death, it's just impossible. And you, you can't do it alone. Yeah. And, and that just goes to say, I mean, you, you gotta be able to know when you need help and when to ask for help. Um, and that goes across the board on, on so many different things. Um, thank you chief for sharing that with us. I know that uh, it can't be easy and I'm sure that's a real heavy spot in your career. Um, moving forward in Greenwich, exciting. There's opportunity. There's different challenges ahead for you. Um, you know, New Haven's chapter, you're on a new chapter now. And uh, Greenwich with the combination department, I'm sure they have their woes as well as incredible highs. Um, how's the transition going and, and what are you looking forward to? Well, the transition is is pretty cool. I mean, I got to be honest. Yeah. The people down here, the the, the the firefighters are firefighters, yes. right? The volunteers, the career, it doesn't matter. You're dealing with firefighters. Their, their heads are in it. They're in it for the right reasons, you know? And, and so you immediately relate back to that. 
Um, you know, but it is, it's different challenges. You know, Greenwich is, you know, it's, it's on the map for being the, the home of the big houses and, the, you know, the, 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 the wealthy sure. and, you know, that provides us with big challenges. I mean, you know, I went from two and a half story wood frame balloon, traditional New England culture to 20 and 30,000 foot estates that, you know, have their own cistern and we don't have water supply up there or, or you know, uh, uh, hydrants. And, you know, so with, with the things that I face here, I think a lot of it is what we're facing nationwide. You know, we're facing a challenge of recruitment and retention of the volunteers, sure. you know, and, and we're trying to get creative. We're trying to think outside the box. I'm having regular meetings with our with our volunteer companies to try to come up with new ideas and and if somebody has a good idea, run with it, you know, and we'll explore it because nothing's off the table. It's 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 important to try things. And if it doesn't work out, it's really not that big of a deal, but at least try it. Um, you know, luckily, you know, that old school 70s career volunteer relationship isn't uh, a problem here. You know, we have good. combination firehouses, so the people are integrated with each other. They they. Uh, they know each other. They, you know, our, our active members are well known on, on the career side. So they're, they're able to be utilized. And that's, that's really, you know, we don't have that issue the way that they do in a lot of other places, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but, um, but I think just being myself and the chief of department and the other assistant chief, we all came from the outside in the last three years. So I think that's been a big, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's a big shakeup for the job. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, overcoming that hurdle of us learning the system and them learning us has, you know, been, it's been good. There's been a couple of hiccups and sure. challenges. There's going to be. Yeah. Right. I mean, nobody, nobody's going to do it perfect every, every time. So, so that's been the biggest challenge I think is, um, you know, having everybody let the guard down, realize, you know, nobody's. Nobody's coming in to, to drop the hammer. We're all, you know, trying to work together and, and just achieve and, you know, just remind everybody that, you know, everybody signed up to be a firefighter. I remember hearing this a long time ago. Firefighters don't like to admit it, but you wouldn't do this job if you didn't like to help people. That's right. So just, get, you know, going back to that, anybody could volunteer at the Rotary Club and anybody could get a job, you know, working for, you know, traffic and parking or whatever. So it's not about having the municipal job. It's not about volunteering. It's about helping people. And if you could put the the tough facade aside for a second and realize that's the ultimate goal, I think, you know, everybody, everybody here's get, you know, gets that. And, and we're trying to, to just provide a good service to everybody. That's cool. I, I think about the, I think about the operational challenges. Um, you know, that I had this conversation the other day with a couple guys and, and, you know, a couple guys, want more for themselves, right? Uh, to challenge themselves. But sometimes in your own district, it's so, you know, uh, it's so one-sided with what you have in front of you that it doesn't provide tremendous opportunity to, to maybe go to fires in different types of buildings or operationally, uh, you know, work in a different environment, which makes you a better firefighter and a more, you know, well-rounded firefighter. So opportunity is cool. And, and I always welcome like change. Uh, I always welcome different opportunities if it's going to help me grow, help the fire company, you know, whatever it is. So for you, I mean, on a chief level, that's got to be fun to go from, you know, uh, the urban streets to more of a suburban uh, setting on, on some of the outskirts. I know Greenwich has its downtown too and so on, but you know, I mean, it, it's a very different game when you have a 20,000 square foot home with a large setback, um, you know, uh, versus your row frames. Um, it's a whole different animal. And for you and your career 20 years in, it's got to be a lot of fun learning a new game. It's got to be. It, it's it's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, for me, you want to know what I, I actually, I love probably the most out of all of it is, if you couldn't tell, just talking and getting to hear things, you know, because I mean, I was in a department in Westport department in Wilton. they're similar in structure, you know, but I was there for a short time. So, Hey guys, what have you experienced? What have you seen? You know, cause the way, and I just talked to somebody about this, the way you fight a fire in a mansion is not the way you fight a fire in a balloon frame. 100%. You have to be skilled in both. Yes. And, and um, so talking to people about, 
Hey, what have you seen? How did you overcome it? I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't care if I hear the same story twice. I'm going to pull something out of that because as a chief officer, when I show up, I want to be a help, not a hindrance. Right. And one of the things that I made perfectly clear to my, my shift commander, my deputy chiefs, I'm not here to take command from you. I'm here to observe, help out, grab a side, whatever you need me to do, because listen, you've earned your rank. You've, you've earned your place and you're the pro at this. I'm the one who has to catch up. That's right. So the fires I've been to, I've, I tried to be more of an observer and a helper than, you know, showing up and asserting myself. Right. I, I just don't think that gets us anywhere. And all it does is really it draws the attention negatively on on the operation. And, uh, you know, it's a distractor from, from what needs to be done. And you're also setting the tempo with your chiefs. They understand where you fit in, where they fit in, and it sets the tempo and allows them to know what they what's expected of them. And um, expectations are critical in the fire service, especially now more than ever. Letting people know what the expectation is from them and what and what we want from them. If they know that, then they know how they act, how they perform, how they operate, and that's imperative. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean. Listen, I, I, I set the tone early, at least I think I did. I, I have a chief officer who's been a deputy chief since they instituted deputy chiefs in Greenwich, right? We didn't have shift commanders 17 plus years ago. It was a different right. structure. He's been here long enough to know he knows his job. Yes. I know he knows his job. And yes. all my shift commanders are great, but he's an example of somebody I literally walked up to day one. And I was like, dude, I need you to show me how this operates. Like, You've been here the longest. Give me the history lesson. Let me let me grasp it. And I'm not afraid to go back to him and say, hey, so-and-so said this. I'm fine doing that, but why is it that way or whatever? You know, I'm not I, – I never walk into a room trying to be the smartest person or trying to be the, you know, the, 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 the loudest voice. Yeah. Like I said – it all it does is draw negative attention. So you got to be able to to learn. And to me, learning is the most fun thing because it just diversifies what you could do when when it comes to the heat of battle, right? Absolutely, absolutely. The more well rounded, the more diverse, the more in tune with different ways, methodologies. If this way doesn't work, I got you know uh, ways two, three, and four in my back pocket. You know because I've read, I've learned, I listened, I talked. You know I watched. Um, that is so important. And I think, you know, as a firefighter, it's important as a company officer and even up through the ranks of, of assistant chief, chief, and so on, you got to be able to do something more than one way and finding that's where you're going to find commonality and common ground with the troops or with the administration is finding a way. If the first way doesn't work, you better have two, three, and four in that back pocket that will allow you to find commonality so you can move forward. Yeah. One of the best things in Greenwich that I found is the, the guys, the, the, you know, the, the people, the boots on the ground, career and volunteer. Yeah. When I got here, I kind of met with as many as I could and said, what should I know? And I was blown away that it was common <clears throat> messaging. Like everybody was giving me similar feedback. Yes. Hey chief, you need to know this is our operation. If you're North of uh, this parkway, right. Or, Chief, just so you know, if we get this, you know, it's an anomaly. Here's a building that makes me nervous. Well, I was getting that same feedback from everybody. So it meant that everybody was on the same page. Everybody was pre-planned out for what needed to be done in our target areas. Like, and it made me feel good. I wasn't just getting, well, group two doesn't do housework. It's like, I didn't want to hear that and they didn't give it to me. Right. So it was perfect. And I really appreciated the feedback that I did get. And what I told them was, dude, if I'm, if I say something and you don't think it's going to work, I'm good with you telling me, just make sure you tell me why it's not going to work. And if you bring me a problem, try to bring it with a solution. I may not pick your solution, but don't be a problem factory. And everybody's been super respectful of that. I love that. I'm actually writing that down, that one down. If you have a problem, if you have a problem, bring a solution. 
I love that because that goes that goes to finding a way to solve or address the problem instead of just bitching and moaning about it and not having any way of moving on. Some people like to bitch and moan just for the sake of bitching and moaning and never put any thought to how they can fix that because they just enjoy the bitching and moaning. <laughs> yeah, and here's the thing. I can respect the guy who likes to bitch and moan. Yeah. And if you are that guy, like, all right, I got 15 minutes. I'm, I'm you know, going to stop and have coffee. Bitch at me, bro. That's cool. Whatever. But don't expect it to change because you're just you're you're a factory of complaints, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I love that. I'm almost not gonna take it. I won't take you as seriously. But if you say, "Hey, can I grab you in the hallway real quick?" Hey, listen, you know, um, you know, I noticed the guys are struggling getting this piece of equipment off. If I rearrange this, you know, it probably would work out better. Okay, let's let's pick it apart. But you know, I don't see a problem with it. Boom, problem solved, right? Like yep. it's little little stuff like that that well, and that's, I think goes a long way. And nipping that early on, man, you know, uh, that's the best stuff. It doesn't fester. You know, you were talking about moving the ropes in the squad and every shift wants to do it different, you know, every shift wants to do it differently and you know, and so on. If we can just come to commonality up front, we move on. We don't dwell. So I love it. Chief, a great conversation, man. Thank you. Thank you. The no, this, uh, is, this is great. I know I'm all over the place. No, you're good. But- you're good. You got a lot going on. I listen. We squeeze this in, so I appreciate you spending some time with me. But I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to get you back involved with a couple other things that we have coming up. So I'll reach out and let you know about some of that and so on. Um, I really do value your stance on a lot of issues. Um, you know, I, you and I, like I said when I started this. Um, you know, I found that there was a lot of commonality between how we look at things and so on. So this has been a great conversation. Um, and just thanks for sharing a little bit about yourself and your thoughts on the fire service. It's cool. And I wish you tremendous success with your new you know, uh, your new spot, um, in Greenwich. And, uh, you know, if we can ever help in any way there, please don't hesitate to reach out. But man, I just appreciate you spending some time with me today. Now, listen, I appreciate everything you guys are doing. You know, I've seen you guys, um, out there and, and, you know, taking the time out to, to do this for the, the fire service is huge. Um, Thank so you. it does not go unnoticed and it is appreciated because well, believe me, I, I pulled on some of your stuff uh, when we were doing apparatus designs and yeah. things like that. And it's a perfect hub to, uh, to get information. I love it. So oh, thank it up, you. Please. And we're, we're actually going to be streamlining that process even more. And there'll be more to come on that, uh, the end of this year. But, uh, thank you, man. I, you know, words of encouragement are always welcome because it, it truthfully fuels us to just keep pushing and making it better. So, and you're a part of that, man, you joined me today and, uh, I thank you for, uh, sharing your thoughts and ideas and uh, a little bit about awesome. your career. So chief, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. I appreciate you. Jeremy, thank you. Yep. Stay right where you are. I'll chat with you off air for a minute. Let me just sign off the podcast. All right. Don't go anywhere. Guys, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Chief Assistant Chief Justin McCarthy out of Greenwich, Connecticut. An incredible career. He's uh, He's got a lot ahead of him still. He's got plenty to do. So uh, what a great conversation. And uh, I love good conversation because a conversation makes this job just a little bit better. So take it. Go back to the firehouse with it and talk about it because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.